0: I'm, I'm less harsh on myself it's like okay like ultra shuffled that part and got that 10k done in whatever time like it's still way faster than if you caved and walked which is what I used to do when I wasn't able to run fast I'd be like fuck it and I would just walk and death march and then drop
1: welcome back to the next episode friends of the trail running women podcast I talked today with Alicia Woodside, who is a phenomenal young runner that currently lives in Squamish, B.C. She has run so many races. The cool thing about Alicia was she grew up playing a lot of sports, none of them at a particularly high level because she played such a huge variety. And then she found running and she is a super talented runner. And I think she started to do well really early. I think, I know... Things like coming second female at Hurt 100 at 26 years old and 12th overall, like that is crazy. Continued on that um, sort of trajectory. I had to scroll through her ultra sign up to get through all the races and I haven't had to do that in a long time. She has run so many races and done so well in so many of them, but we get into how the pressure and the expectation kind of got to her a little bit. Um, So she would be running well and then if she had to go slow for a bit, she would just walk and then drop out of the race because she didn't want to have a bad time. Um, I'm summarizing this, so wait for the direct quotes for Alicia to tell you the story and kind of overcoming that and realizing that like you can alter shuffle for a bit and then you can run well again. Um, and I think that probably just had a lot to do with realizing how good she could do and if you're not hitting full potential at every second of every race, that that is a mental hurdle that you have to get over. So I thought that was really interesting to listen to with Alicia. She's currently pregnant. We haven't had a pregnant runner on in a long time. So we chit-chat about how she's feeling and how she's kind of taking that day-to-day. She also has a blog called notrunningforgold.com, which, you know, in the name, kind of hints at the stuff we just talked about. And I think there's a lot here to learn. Um, It's really beautifully done. Actually, I'm looking at it right now. And I wanted to ask her more about this, but I didn't end up having time because we just kept having, uh, I just kept having questions on things that she's talking about now because she's really easy to chat to. Um, I think she's a good storyteller. So I think you guys will really enjoy Alicia. I will tell, or I'll tell, I'll let her tell the rest. If you want to find me on Instagram, it's Hillsport 55, and I will link to everything in the show notes. Um, and I'll leave it for that. Thanks guys. All right. I'm joined today with Alicia Woodside, who is currently in Squamish. 33 years old, a fantastic runner, and expecting your first child. Uh, how far along are you now?
0: Uh, and this
1: weekend will be 26 weeks.
0: Oh, nice. So you're getting there. How are you feeling? Yeah. I'm feeling so good. I'm so lucky. Yeah, I've been like the luckiest pregnant human, I feel, that has existed.
1: Yeah, um, no, I felt that way too. Like I basically was normal.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, um, I don't know. I just take it day by day. But every day I'm like, still normal, still
1: pretty (laughs) normal.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's
1: exciting. Um, How are you feeling about like actually? I find, okay, so this is such a weird tangent to start off with, but I found when you're pregnant, everybody asks you like how you feel about um, being pregnant and when you get farther on, like are you ready to have the baby and all these things? But how are you feeling about being a mom?
0: Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, I think for me personally, I've actually tried to limit like what I read around pregnancy. Cause I feel like, well, I'm, not, I'm, like I said, I've been very lucky. haven't had challenges and I feel like there's a lot of misinformation. So I just, mm. you know, I talk to my doctor, but I'm trying to spend more of my mental bandwidth thinking about parenting and, and being a mom. Cause I think that's where it's going to be more challenging and a lifelong thing. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I, uh, I feel it's interesting. Like my mother-in-law the other day asked me like, are you excited? And I had to be like, well, no, like, I'm not like, oh, it's going to be like my birthday. Um,
1: yeah, no, you, I totally get
0: it. I'm just realistic. I feel it's a little bit like doing like hundred milers. Like I have like a, okay. In January, I'm going to be doing a bunch of hundred milers. That's how I feel. I feel like there's going to be highs and lows and it's going to be amazing in ways that I can't understand right now but I also know there'll be like some hardship and adjustment and a lot of adaptation I'm going to have to learn and I think I'm kind of just like not thinking about it too much because I don't it's helping me to not be anxious at all and I'm kind of thinking more about like long-term vision of like okay when we're like when the kids like three or four or five like what does that look like and what how do we feel about um
1: iPads and screen time and stuff like that? Um, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's a really good perspective, I think, because it's really hard if you are totally prepared for this like event to have the baby and to be pregnant and then like haven't prepared at all for, like you said, the fact that like things are gonna change and you're gonna have to adapt, even if that preparation is just saying like, okay, I'm accepting that things are going to change and I'm not ready to like worry about it yet because you don't know what those changes are going to be. Um, That's pretty much the extent of my preparation. Yeah. And that, that was kind of mine too. But the same thing where it was like, I'm not expecting rainbows and unicorns, which I think sometimes with like social media and the way people put, put things out there is like, everything's going to be so amazing, but like, it's not because it's really hard. And it, like you said, it's great in ways that you don't, understand yet. Um, And then at the same time, there's some parts that just are really tough. So you just kind of take the good with the bad. Let's get into your story. So you are 33 now, but you have been running for a really long time. Um, So I'm interested to find out what you were like as a kid, and if you were a runner or an athlete, and how you found the trail. So give us a brief intro on um, your childhood athletic. Okay.
0: Yeah, I'll try to be brief on this one. Yeah, Yeah, so I was, like, a super, super um, hyperactive kid right from the get-go, which I think a lot of kids are. But in my case, the extent was my mom signed me up for soccer earlier than she was allowed and lied about my age just so that I could, like, run around the field. And I think it was just a bit too much for her. Um, So I basically spent, like, my whole childhood playing absolutely every sport and my parents are complete angels because they were taking me from like a 6am figure skating practice to I would walk to school and then I'd have like school soccer at three then I would have club volleyball and then I would skip the track uh, practice because I couldn't make it but I would like train with my dad doing long jump on a Saturday to kind of make up for it so it was just like it was like this really idealistic sports camp like my whole life and running was one of eight sports I did. Um, I did, I was part of this really cool track club called Coquitlam Cheetahs in the Lower Mainland and it was so fun because it it was, um, there were practices like a few times a week and you could do all kinds of field events. Um, You could do, like I did everything. I did discus, hammer throw, hurdles, triple jump, 3000 meter, javelin, like <laughs> just all these fun things and we spent like so many weekends at track meets all around BC like um it kind of felt like camping. Um yeah, so I kind of that's sort of how I grew up and running was always my kind of secret weapon in other sports where I kind of took it for granted, but That was my only strength in soccer was that I could beat people to the ball. And then I think in grade 11, 12, I started thinking like, maybe I need to try what it's like to not play sports. Like I didn't know what that was like. So I, I kind of dialed it back. Like I basically did like a few, I think I did club volleyball. I did, I mean, I, for a regular person, I still did a lot, but for me, it was way less and I stopped really running. And it was interesting to see how, like, (laughs) that's when I realized, like, oh, I'm actually not that good of a soccer player. Um, Now that I can't beat people to the ball, that was, like, my only strength. And, yeah, I spent just, like, first-year university, like, trying that out, like, being, like, a non-sporty person. Um, I was really thinking, okay, this is the time to, like, really focus on school and just being an adult now. And that did not work well for me. It was funny, but that was, I basically was just more emotional and um, like less, I don't know, it was way less fun. And I studied way too much. And and then I started kind of realizing, okay, I need to reintegrate sports into my life because it's so, so important. Um, it's really my lifestyle. And then that's when I felt, into only running and it was the first time in my life where I could pick one thing um and it was because I was so busy in school it was so easy to just like I think buy one pair of running shoes that was like my budget of fun for the year and then just go on the road and so that's kind of how I started just running and that was like around 2007 and I it was funny because at the time I had a boyfriend and we both decided to do the sun run in Vancouver the 10k and it was just so uh like kind of embarrassing almost because I could barely finish the race and I got sick for a week after and I think my time like I'll have to find it Hillary but I think it was uh, around an hour 20 And it was a real wake-up call because I had been so fit my whole life that I was like, oh, my God. Um, So that's really when, yeah, I started running a lot more. Just I was motivated to kind of get back to a good state there and um, signed up for half marathon to kind of kick my ass into gear. And then I think because I'm a competitive person, like over the summer I started, like, timing myself and, like, kind of – Predicting my my times and stuff, and then I noticed that UBC had a um, kind of a track team where you could do like the marathon, and so that really captivated me. And yeah, in my third year, I ended up walking on the team, and it was pretty funny because I wasn't like I wasn't in the league. Like I was coming to these workouts, getting dropped every week in mile repeats, like at the back, to the point that you know you show up for the next repeat. And you get no rest because the leaders have had their rest, but I just stuck with it. And then I kind of, I just had to run a half marathon under a certain time to like make the team and whatnot and managed to do it. Um, And then that kind of was like my trial by fire back into running. And then from there um, that year of just hard workouts with UBC track got me back into like a good place. And that was like 2008 Um, and I got to run my first marathon in St. Louis with UBC and it was laps of a very hot road, um, like four laps or five. Um, anyway, but despite the suffering, I kind of fell in love with it. And that's, yeah, ever since then, I've
1: just been doing like long distance running. That's so, there's so many things that you said there that I thought were interesting. One of them was like sports being such a huge part of your life and then deciding that you're going to try to not have them, two parts of that, like, A, was there a particular thing that happened that you were like, maybe I just won't have my life revolve around this variety? And then was there any other part of you or, or outside pressure where people were saying, like, you should be specializing in one thing and trying to, like, get a scholarship or any pressure to take any of these sports more seriously?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think like with the specializing, I always wanted to specialize, but I could never pick and I couldn't bring myself to pick and I always did feel like it was a kind of a shame because I was always like quite good at every sport but never like a meet, like excellent at any of them because of that I was just spreading my time so thin. And like for example, like I got recruited to play soccer at some crappy universities. I mean, like, I could go to this. I couldn't remember the name of it. Something in the States. Where, like I think Concordia was, like, the best one. Um, SFU I could have played, but I would have been, like, kind of sitting on the bench. And then UBC, it was, like, they didn't even look at me, and that's really where I wanted to study. Um, and so I think I was, like, kind of disappointed. You know, like, I would have loved to have, like, a full-ride scholarship to a U.S. university
1: it's not everything it's cracked up to be trust me okay
0: yeah and I just but I think I knew you know what how can you expect that when you're doing these eight sports and you're spending like barely any time on each one Um, and then I think the motivation to like kind of curtail was just curiosity I was like you know, what is that like? I have no idea. I just wanted to explore what that felt like because I only knew that other way of being. And I thought maybe it was, would be nice to have like free time, you know, like being in high school. And I don't know, I was always, always getting up early, always, um, yeah, just always busy on weekends. I just was curious what that other lifestyle was like. And I'm also really pragmatic. And I thought, okay, you're going to university like it's expensive. You better like have your shit together. this is like, you know, like I wasn't your typical first year student when everyone else was like drinking. I was like, you know what? No, I'm done with that. Like I'm here to, to like buckle
1: down. (laughs) That's actually, that's funny. That's kind of what I was going to say from like an outsider. That's what I was getting is that like people that, and this is a generalization, but that do go and play in the NCAA, And they say this when you're down there, you are your first few years you're there as an athlete and you don't kind of get to the maturity level to realize that you probably should prioritize being a student because that's your future um, instead. And it almost sounds like you kind of understood that earlier that like, hold on, the point of school is not just to play a sport, um, but is for the fact that you're going to get an education. Um, so maybe you just were wise beyond your years as well. <laughs> Thank you. I'll try to take that <laughs> upgrade. Uh, yeah. So what did you go to school for, and what do you do now?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, and I'll also try to be brief. Um, I ended up, it was similar to sports, where I had so many interests, and I was like, ah, oh, I, I like science. I could see myself in kinesiology because I like sports. Um, I also loved writing, so I was like, I could see myself in like a liberal arts, but I ended up going to business school um, because it had, it had that uh, interdisciplinary element to it and I felt mm-hmm. like it would be, you know, like good for career and it could be creative. It just had so many options to it. Um, and then I kind of like, in terms of career, I didn't really take a normal path with that education at all I ended up um there were you know a lot of recruitment events from like big accounting firms and I just it didn't really appeal to me um I ended up working at Lululemon for a while actually in product um in on the um product innovation team and yeah so totally unrelated and actually kind of more like a product developer um role and then from there I kind of took some time to do more startup um, type of work experiences where I worked at like a running app startup um, called Rungo. I took a year of computer science for fun at UBC, which was very interesting. Um, Yeah, I just took a year off and did that. Um, And then I was working for another startup after that when I really just got a craving to move to the mountains and like kind of abruptly quit and then in order to um, like have this lifestyle of living in a small mountain town in Squamish here, I, I changed into local government. So I'm currently working at the district of Squamish. And the funny thing is, it is kind of a business role now, finally, um, where I'm helping support businesses in town through like various different projects and programs
1: and, and research. I feel like I actually summarized that in like a couple minutes. You did. And you're summarizing everything quite well. Uh, Before the show, she was like, I talk a lot. You're going to have to stop me. But no, what I'm getting is that you're just a very good, well-rounded person, which leads me to look at your running career as sort of interesting because I would think I might look on here and see um, some shorter distances and a couple of longer distances, but it looks like 2012 could have been your first ultra which is almost 10 years ago now which is really young especially given how far the sport has come in the last 10 years so what was it that got into you that got you into the trails and especially into the um, ultra distance
0: yeah yeah it was so sudden Hillary. um I, so after my running at UBC and with what I learned about how important it is for me to keep up with my, my sports, I joined um, Vancouver Falcons Athletic Club, which is like a really great running club in Vancouver. And it was exactly like the perfect thing for me at the time, like just graduating university. It, it's this awesome community. It's training, it, you know, it allowed me to keep having goals. But really, like the community was the main thing that I was seeking um, and found there. And through VFAC, well, VFAC is the name for short. Um, that's where I found actually a lot of my trail running friends, which at the time we all did road running. But there were a few members in the club that had kind of gone to the dark side. Um, a good example is Ellie Greenwood is in the club. And so back then was when Ellie Greenwood was just absolutely crushing ultra running and trail running and that was kind of like how I was exposed to it and I remember I just knew I loved running long distances I kind of I tried a triathlon at one point I think my chain fell off like I didn't know like I got like ear infections on the swim I I realized like I just like running I don't need to like the biking or the swimming and that's fine but I sort of saw ultra running and trail running as something that would be even more of what I like. Um, and I I remember I asked Ellie if she could coach me because it just all seemed so weird, like people eating potato chips and carrying stuff with them. Um, but she back then was like, oh, no, I don't coach. Um, and so basically we just kind of started going, you know, Tara and uh, a few other friends and I would just kind of on our own You know, like everyone else kind of went for it. But I think the main thing that got me into trails specifically, as opposed to just running longer, was this one hike um, in the Mount Tricuni area in Squamish. And it was my friend Ryan who's really into backcountry things. I had no idea what the backcountry was. Like, I was invited on this hike. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'd be down for a hike. And I literally showed up in like Lululemon bell-bottom yoga pants with a tank top no food no water no backpack and then mount ricuni is like pretty far drive from vancouver and it's like an hour on a heinous rough logging road and then it's a legit peak so like we so, man like thankfully a friend had an extra peanut butter and jam sandwich and like i think she gave me a merino wool shirt and was like oh this is better than what you're wearing and so we just have this hilarious picture of us in the snowfield on Triconi, just so like ill prepared, but I totally fell in love with being in the backcountry on that day. It was the hardest thing I had ever done, and I had just run a marathon. This was way harder. it challenged me in all these new ways. It was the most beautiful place I had ever been, and I just was like, "What the hell is this?" It was weird that I hadn't. Really been exposed to it before, but I don't think I had really been in the Alpine before, and yeah, that's really what got me into um be just being like really passionate about the trails and just exploring,
1: yeah, it's funny because I get what you mean, like we're like, I don't think I've been exposed to the Alpine before, where for some reason it seems so obvious to us now, and like you look around and you can just kind of envision. Where, like the most beautiful stuff is and it seems easy to go there but before you experience it like you don't know that it exists like I guess it's hindsight or something um and then yeah you do and it can kind of just like change it so fast um so I totally get everything that you said there and and I think that's really cool that you had that opportunity I wish more people had that kind of at a younger age to be exposed to that type of stuff um So you get in with this group, you find out about, like, different types of terrain. Um, I'm sure the, like, transfer of learning how to run on that um, took a little bit of time. And then you (laughs) jumped into um, a few races. So tell us about your first few 50Ks and then the decision to do um, 100 miler also at a pretty young age. And you must have been one of the youngest people. Yeah, I think so. At your first 100. Yeah,
0: um, it was hilarious because I, as soon as I discovered this whole world, I was like, I want it all now. And it was funny because I just had the weirdest approaches like that made no sense. Like I signed up for the North Face 50 miler, which is like, for those listening, it's all on fire roads. Like, it's not technical at all. You need to be a good, you need to practice running. Um, I trained for that on the Baden Powell Trail. (laughs) and (laughs) the
1: Baden-Powell is the opposite of that
0: (laughs) and Baden-Powell is like the most technical trail of your life and so much up and down just completely opposite and I remember I did the North Face 50 it was my first 50 miler and I was so unprepared like just like but I didn't know and I just was like it was a big adventure and it was um I think the fun part of it was like just diving in and not knowing and just it was so exciting because it was my it was my like gateway and introduction into the outdoors so it wasn't just ultra running or running it was like it was this whole new community of outdoors and camping and um what do you bring camping like i didn't know like i honestly didn't do that stuff before which is hilarious to me cuz i love it so much now but yeah i don't know i just didn't yeah didn't find it before um but I think the 100 miler that one was also funny because I wanted to do one like so impatiently that I planned this trip (laughs) it was like this time of year Hillary and I'm like I want to do a 100 miler now and there aren't many and the good ones are all next you know wait till next summer but I basically planned that I booked a flight to Zion National Park and James Varner, the uh, rain shadow RD, he gave me this idea, oh, you should do the Zion Traverse twice. So I was gonna do that solo. And I oh was so like How old so, are you? How old was I? Yeah. I was probably like twenty-four. And so what why? Like why did you need to do it now?
1: I mean, I, I get I was it just because so I have excited. No
0: like I'm pretty I'm the type of person, like when I get an idea, I wanna do it now. I I don't wait to try things I will try it and very sometimes and quite often it fails but I don't want to wait around or think about it or dwell on it it's like I'm doing this I get like convicted with the idea and the funny thing is I knew like I was in so like that Zion trail I was going to be doing a lot of it in the dark obviously but there's big parts of it that are that are a little bit more challenging to navigate. Like I come from a foresty place and this is now like rock slabs and totally different terrain. And thankfully a friend was like, hey, can I come with you and do the first half with you? And then, you know, we went out there. It was below freezing at night. I had like a little long sleeve on. We got to the first 50 miler done. And then it's like, clearly I'm not going to be doing the second half because A, I can't navigate worth shit yet b i have like a little long sleeve and there's like you know frost on the ground um but yeah that was it was hilarious i was just so like excited and motivated but the skills were so low that it was a really funny contrast and another example was tara Barry and i wanted to do the full neenaka in winter and we didn't care we didn't want to wait till next summer we knew nothing about avalanches and snow Oh so we just went out there, and we had, like, snowshoes. There's no more trail in winter there. It's literally, like, I mean, maybe the the eastern half, but, like, Cypress Mountain is, like, a ski touring area now. But we yeah. were just, like, clamoring along the snow fields, like, just getting it done.
1: <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> so what did your parents think when you were 24, and you're like, I'm just going to go... And run 100 miles on my own, well, with one friend and, you know, in the night. <laughs> I think that I was like good at managing expectations. Like, my
0: mom, I don't think I shared all the details. And I was <laughs> careful to share details after it's done, you know, mm-hmm. um, so that yes. there's no worrying. Because my mom would be the one that would worry. I think my dad was like mildly amused and, you know, like, I think he thought it was kind of cool but I think he also was like oh is this you know um but the funny thing is like the year I ran Hurt 100 in 2015 my dad and stepmom came and I came through like lap two I just hated my life I was gonna drop out I'm like I hate this sport I feel like I'm a prisoner or like in the army (laughs) or something and I just was expecting my dad to be like yeah this is Pretty dumb. Like we should just go go eat or go to the beach, because he's really more like he's retired and into like just having fun right now. And no, sure enough, I this was their first ultra they attended, Hurt One Hundred, and he's like, "Oh no, you look awesome, Alicia. No, you can't stop now. You look totally fresh. Like you don't look like you've been running at all. Here, you need to eat this huge sandwich." And like he literally fed me a foot long, and then he's like. get back out there. So it was just like, I was like, what is happening? Like, you're supposed to be the dad that's usually like, no, we should go eat donuts now on the beach. <laughs> but, oh,
1: yeah. that's so funny. Yeah. So that was your second 100 miler, right? Like official, and your first one was Cascade Crest? Yeah. So yeah. what happened between wanting to do this 100 miles on your own, only making it halfway, and then um, you do Cascade Crest in 2014 and you came, uh, fourth female. And then the year after when you did hurt, you came in second female, which is at 12th overall, which is super impressive. So there must've been something. Did you get a coach? What were you learning? How did you make that shift into being like, I don't know anything to being like, I know how to do this really well.
0: Um, I can't say it was like polished or whatnot. Like, in hurt, I was so close to almost dropping, and I actually was well back in the race early because I had to walk a lot because I was overheating. Um, but then I just got that motivation, like from my dad, and um, from the Footlong, yeah, and from the Footlong, <laughs> <laughs> literally just ran, and then you know slowly attrition happens. Um, but I think there were, yeah, there was definitely some little learnings from Cascade Crest, um, like I wore. I, I switched up shoes in hurt which was weird because normally every other distance I never had to change shoes but I think it's just it was a new running gait that kind of meant that my I don't know my feet were more sweaty or I don't know like I just started to get more blisters only at the 100 mile distance and I found that just literally every 20 miles I would change my socks and shoes and then I just didn't get them anymore but at Cascade Crest my demise was like halfway in I was like I think leading the race and having a great race. And then I just, my feet went to shit and I had so many blisters and I had spare socks and a drop bag, but my husband pulled them out and they were like covered in sand and dirty. Um, And so that was a, you know, amateur hour and an aid station volunteer literally saved me, gave me the socks off her shoes. Oh my goodness. Continue and I finished the race in the volunteer socks. And, you know, like the feet were just like, I've never been in that much pain. Um, but yeah, I think from there I learned, okay, I don't want my hundred mile demise to be because of like my feet. Like it's so sad when that happens because you have so much energy left to, 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 you know, it's just, that's a frustrating one. And you do all that training, but it doesn't matter. Cause you're just, if your feet, the bottoms of your skin is your Achilles heel, it's a frustrating one.
1: Yeah. That's funny. I just had Katie on to talk about dragon's back. And she said that was the number one thing too, was dealing with feet and how the guys that were able to run well the whole week, like they just knew how to deal with it before it got to be an issue. So it's such a, such a challenging thing. And everybody's probably a little bit different too, on like what happens to their particular feet. Yeah, it's it's a
0: weird, fascinating um, thing, but it it can be so frustrating because you could do, like, a whole year of training and be extremely fit, and then it doesn't matter at all.
1: Like, you might as well have not trained. (laughs) So then in 2016, you run at the Trail World Championships. What race did you do to qualify for that?
0: Um, I did this one in Victoria called Elk Beaver 50-Miler, which is, like, you do laps of Elk Beaver Lake. Um, (laughs) So I did eight laps, and I was lucky to get paced from friends, which was that I haven't. uh, Yeah, that was interesting. You're just doing like, I felt like I've done the 50k at Elk Beaver. And that's actually really fun. Because you're out there for not that long. And five laps is kind of actually nice. But once you get to 678, like, my lips were turning blue. Mm. It is longer than More laps, maybe, than you desire to do. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's
1: the sweet spot. So I have two questions. But first of all, like going back to when you were younger, kind of doing a little bit of everything. So not taking anything overly seriously. Did you find there was something you needed to learn about how to focus on ultra training only? Um, and to be really competitive in the like the mental toughness type area? Or did it all seem to kind of come together naturally?
0: Um, It's a good question. I think that I was just so excited that I didn't need mental toughness at the beginning, because it was just this like adventure. I actually found it was later, like more around uh, 2017, 18, 19, that I went through a phase of like, kind of realizing that maybe I needed more mental toughness and ultra running. And at the beginning it was like a gift because it was just so new and exciting that that got me mm-hmm. through. And yeah, it's kind of more like lately that I've sort of started to develop those skills, which is funny because I just got by without it through just
1: like stupidity and excitement at the beginning. No, that, that makes sense. Um, I'm wondering if like more recently too, it's also come, with expectation now that your results have been so good. So early on, I think that
0: around like 2017, I did put more expectation and, um, I would like go out every race to win and like burn, like die. And I would also, I think my training was like, I was, I'd go do training with FIFAC and I'd be, you know, doing like this fast road running training. And I think that kind of was like maybe the wrong expectation. Um, and I, I think, yeah, like, for example, the only time I've done squash 50k, um, I was, like, having a great race up to halfway. I was in second pine Anna Frost. And then I ended up having some struggles, and I just dropped with 10k to go because I was like, oh, no, I don't want to run that slow time. Like, screw this. And that was maybe 2016. Um, and then – but, yeah, I kind of learned, like, hey, the whole point – and the whole cool part about ultra running is actually that mental side and that you it something is gonna go wrong. and it's like it's almost like yoga or meditation where you you get to like adapt and learn how you can, yeah, how you can thrive in that situation. So that's been a newer thing for
1: me that I've realized that that's the beauty of it. Yeah, that and then as well, like, did you have to come to terms with being like, if you did put up like in quotations that slow time that you speak of which I'm sure would kick most of our butts um feeling okay with that and that like you're still the same person and worthy of the same like love and attention and all the things that like you feel special when you win um and I like I wonder if that's sometimes why people drop and then they realize like oh you know people aren't going to like me less if I don't run as fast as they expect me to run
0: yeah well I can't say I had that like conscious thought but I think I had a lot of time in between events and I stopped I actually kind of signed up for fewer events so that I could like kind of get back on track you can probably
1: see that from the ultra sign up um you have run you have more more races I think than anybody that I've interviewed (laughs) okay yeah. It's amazing. So, <laughs> but yeah, you can see it start to taper off a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Okay. That was my like doing a little less to kind of like
0: make <laughs> it felt. But um I think that I learned a little bit that often what I was thinking was completely terrible was actually still really good. And so now I try to maintain that in my head. I try to think, hey, if like you're actually still doing really well and I kind of call it like ultra shuffling like I've noticed in ultra races where if you do start feeling pretty terrible and you just have to shuffle along it's actually pretty efficient and um so I have a I think I have more just like a not that I've lowered my expectations but I've kind of I see it more clearly now I think and I'm kind of like less quick to judge and I kind of yeah, it's hard to explain, but I'm I'm less harsh on myself. It's like, okay, like, you know, you uh, ultra shuffled that part and got that 10K done in whatever time. Like, it's still way faster than if you caved and walked, which is what I used to do when I wasn't able to run fast. I'd be like, fuck it. And I would just walk and death march and then drop. Um, yeah, so I guess I have kind of expanded, like, what I feel is like a good, um, a success and it's a more attainable and sustainable thing now.
1: I love that. I love what you just said. I think that's really important for people to hear. And, and you're right because you, you do ebb and flow and you don't know how lost, how long your shuffle is going to feel or going to go for, and maybe it's only going to be one K and then suddenly you're, you're fast again. And, I think too, like, especially with some of the distance that, that you were doing and how, the difficulty of those races, um, it's easy to get confused in your mind and like think, kind of like you alluded to, that things are way worse than they are and like the outcome won't actually be that bad. And then also, like, the bigger picture, like you have done like CCC in France and like some of the most beautiful races. So I guess just it sounds like you've also just the appreciation of like the places you've been able to go because of your fitness level is pretty amazing
0: yeah yeah I've been really lucky and I think during those times where I had those like little kind of struggles I realized that you know what this is something I want to do for a long time and I have to make it sustainable because um, obviously just <laughs> death marching every time is not fun especially for the family who's like expected you
1: four hours ago <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I know that one. Um, <laughs> so I know you, uh, you have to get back to work here pretty quick and I appreciate you taking the time in the middle of the work day, but I want to know, um, a couple last questions and we can get through them quickly. What's your biggest highlight of all the races that you've done? And I will try to count them and tell everybody in the intro how many races. Uh, you oh, 50. It tells me right at the top. That
0: is such a hard question. Biggest highlight, like, Cause I, it's hard to like
1: choose absolutes.
0: I find, mm-hmm. you know, in general. Anyway. Okay. Biggest highlight. Oh, that's so, ah, that is okay. I don't know if I have, I don't know. Okay. Maybe the, I have, I can <laughs> have okay. One um, was like two years ago, I did the death race and that was a really cool race for me personally, because right before that was when I was struggling with like kind of ex- the wrong expectations, dropping out a lot. Um, and then death race I just ran for pure joy and I had a bunch of challenges like I went off route by accident added kilometers in 45 minutes but like was so pumped and positive all day and I finished and I felt like weirdly emotional so that was like a highlight for sure because it just was like it was a personal indicator of progress and also like running for joy you know So that's kind of one on the opposite side of the spectrum. Another highlight for me was one time when I ran, um, white river 50, it was like around 2016. And I remember I was like running hard and like, I was ahead of Keely Henninger at the first quite far in. And then I just absolutely died. I was like wearing like a tank top, like racing outfit, like barely any clothing. It was cold. I got so cold at the top that someone gave me their onesie sleeping bag from um, an aid station. And uh, that was kind of a cool highlight. Just how like, just, it was just funny. And then a good community, kind of, yeah, (laughs) totally. And then one of my good friends came upon me who was just doing it like super chill. Like she had done a long run the day before and was like, Hey, you want to run out with me? So we got to do like the last 20K together and it was just like a cool experience. Um, I mean, and that's other side of the spectrum, but it's always great being able to share um, with friends. And I think that's like the main appeal to me of, of the ultra running races and community.
1: And second to last question, if any of our listeners are kind of going through that mental struggle where they're feeling like they're supposed to do well in races or, like to the same effect, like a fraud for even being at the start line. Um, Do you have any advice for getting over those types of feelings? Yeah,
0: for sure. One thing is that like, just give yourself time. Don't rush it. It take, you know, like it it might take some time um, and there's no rush. Um, The other thing is it's kind of nice to try new things where you're not going to have those expectations to kind of reset that. So it could be trying new distances you never tried or new shorter things, or it could be going to a new area where you don't know anyone. Um, I think that's partly why I had that experience at the death race was I knew absolutely no one out there. It was just about me, myself, no pressure, no expectations. No one knew who I was. So I think that like building in some races where, yeah, it's either different distance or an area where you don't know anyone um, can really help even doing like a road race where you don't have expectations and then you can kind of like transfer in those new like kind of thinking patterns into that other race where you may be more likely to trigger like really you know pressure driven thoughts but you're now you have some like tools from those other events um and then just like finding what you absolutely love for me it's I love races, but my favorite thing is adventure runs and running with friends and FKTs and planning trips. And so I try to spend like the bulk of my time doing that. Um, Yeah, that would be my advice.
1: Yeah, those are really good. And that one kind of comes up consistently that like as you kind of look past the race scene eventually and realize some of the stuff you can do with friends um, and how rewarding that actually is. Last question. I know you've been running a lot while you're pregnant. Um, As a pregnant person, what is your biggest craving post long run? What's your go-to meal?
0: That's a good question. I think I've started, um, well, I went to Italy recently and since then all I want is like croissant from the best bakery in town or (laughs) like, uh, donut from the best donut shop in town or I basically just like want that Italian experience where there was snack time there was this amazing snack time where you could have like any pastry or pie or cake at the hotel we we're staying at and so like I got hooked on that I'm not letting it die I'm trying desperately to incorporate it maintain it into my lifestyle
1: so, so like, like you get your preface with it has to be the best croissant or the best donut yes to be the best one
0: and also espresso
1: and I ordered
0: an espresso machine the minute I got home
1: Um, oh my god so Andy and I went on our honeymoon in in Italy and that's exactly the same thing when we did we got home too and tiny little cups because I was like I need (laughs) espresso shots always now yeah exactly so that's like that's what I want is like Italy experience with food that's that's the best. That's the the best post-race food answer um, that we've had. So thank you. It took 161 episodes, but we got it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. And I'm so excited um, to like watch you have a baby and incorporate running. And yeah, it's fun now that everybody's kind of in that, in that stage. So um, congrats and thank you. And if our listeners want to find more from you, uh, do you have an Instagram that they can yeah. go creep photos. Yeah, they can totally. I think you might be including it. Funtimes.woodside. I also have a blog.
0: It's called Not Running for Gold. Um, and I'm planning to do more posts about running in pregnancy what um, in a couple weeks because then I'm suddenly in the third trimester and I feel like I have more authority to talk about the earlier ones.
1: Yes, for sure. Um, and I will link to that as well. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much and have a great rest of your day. You too, Hillary. Thanks so much for the chat.